Hello everyone. Today's webinar is about physician satisfaction scores, their pros, their cons, the successes and where they are hurting the practice of medicine and patient care. Satisfaction scores really started in the middle of the last decade. There was a desire by many that physicians and medical practices should be measured for satisfaction, much as we measure airlines, department stores, with the idea that if satisfaction was published and put out there for public consumption, that people would exercise choice of providers towards those with better satisfaction scores, and this would put pressure on the system to improve quality and performance. Things that were being measured, not only are the satisfaction of the visit on time, of the doctors, how the clinic is working, waiting room niceties, things like that. The Affordable Care Act strongly encouraged satisfaction scores. The Medicare and Children's Health Plan Reauthorization Act, better known as MACRA, passed in 2015, mandated these satisfaction scores. The impact on physician are real and on practices. Practices have paid attention to wait times in waiting rooms, in examining rooms, because of these satisfaction scores. Unfortunately, what they don't deal with is if you have a complex practice like my practice, where I am dealing primarily with acute leukemia, stem cell transplant patients, where patients often on every clinic walk in with an unexpected medical problem that needs urgent medical attention and a much longer visit, physicians with that type of practice have problems with satisfaction scores. Other groups of doctors that are being measured by satisfaction scores often have very little face-to-face -face contact with patients, such as radiologists, pathologists, or anesthesiologists. And the true measure of their quality is not going to be visible to a patient because the patient's either comatose with the anesthesiologist or not really present with the radiologist or pathologist. The physicians can either gain patients or potentially lose or be penalized for patients. The insurance industry will often try to reward practices with better satisfaction scores. The idea of these satisfaction scores were developed in the era when the vast majority of physicians were self-employed in their own physician-owned practices. Now that physicians are moving to being an employment model, these satisfaction scores have changed for their utilization purpose. They are used for rewarding with salary but they're also being utilized for whether that physician should be retained or even fired. There are some problems with these, particularly as you shift from patients with sort of simple, straightforward medical problems, surgical procedures, to more complex social dynamics, complex interacting diseases, and chronic care management. So the, the great utility and I think success of these practices, if you are in a surgical practice where you are doing a straightforward elective surgical procedure 
without a lot of long-term toxicities and a good benefit to risk ratio, these satisfaction surveys probably are a very good measure of the quality of interaction with patients. They are also probably a very good measure for a physician treating some chronic diseases where there are good support systems and perhaps new onset diseases where a patient is very willing to change behavior, such as somebody with new onset hypertension where he has to be counseled on diet, salt restriction, getting good sleep. I think these satisfaction scores work quite well. The areas where I think they become more problematic, one is cancer care. One of the things that we have seen is for the initial cancer care visits, those providers who are seeing patients with cancer who are realistic in terms of the success rate of therapy, its toxicity and what it will demand, may not always get the patient satisfaction scores. What you have to realize, a patient uh, with newly diagnosed cancer comes in to meet a medical oncologist very, very scared and petrified about cancer and fearing instantaneous death. The provider who sugarcoats the truth and appeals to that patient's desire just to live and have minimal risk, they often get great initial visit satisfaction scores. The cancer provider who gives a realistic assessment of what therapy involves, including the death rates from therapy, and the problems with the patient support systems that may be encountered, those physicians given that sort of hard truth, even when they do it in a compassionate fashion, never get the good satisfaction scores. The other problem is patients are probably more willing to give satisfaction scores for initial visits, but somebody where you're doing lots of chronic follow-up visits, even if the patient is very satisfied with the provider, their motivation to, to complete the satisfaction surveys are minimal. They may have also felt they've done one. The problem is physicians are measured for every visit by satisfaction scores and they're averaged out. So the patient who is very satisfied with a provider doing chronic care may be disinclined to give a visit and that those physicians are then penalized. This again plays out with the cancer because those physicians who give the realistic assessment and then down the road as that realistic assessment plays out with reality those patients are generally more satisfied with the cancer care provider rather than those who got the sugar-coated truth and then face disappointment down the road. The patients who were realistically appraised and then become much more satisfied may not actually register that later satisfaction scores, or certain facilities will always rate our value, the initial visit satisfaction, more than a follow-up visit satisfaction. And that creates the conundrums. The satisfaction scores also play out for other types of visits where there are potential problems. So a simple example of a problem is a pediatric visit where the patient comes in either with an upper respiratory viral infection or even viral sinusitis and a viral infection of the year where standards are shifting away from always prescribing antibiotics, which is inducing antibiotic resistance, 
to basically saying, watch and wait and don't treat initially. A parent of a child who's bringing him in because they feel sick due to a viral infection does not want to pay for a visit where they are simply told that this process needs to take its course and the child will get better. The parent is anxious. They want an intervention. They are often going to give higher satisfaction scores if the problem is addressed with an intervention, uh, such as an antibiotic, even if that antibiotic is unnecessary. So some of our antibiotic resistance is being propelled by the satisfaction scores. The same is actually true of the opioid crisis. Patients come to the provider for pain when the recommendation for the pain is go to physical therapy or just exercise the joint. It will work its way out. You need to lose weight to deal with the back pain. The patient wants pain meds, this and even narcotic pain meds, and they will demand the provider give pain meds. And if the provider doesn't provide the pain meds, just like with the lack of an antibiotic intervention for a viral upper respiratory infection, the provider is going to be penalized when the patient gives a poor satisfaction score. The provider can do everything to explain why this is good medical practice, but patients don't like to pay for a service where the intervention is that's going to be told is time will take its course and these things will resolve. It's very, very hard for patients to want to pay for such a visit, and they take their resentment out on the providers. This gets to also be a bigger problem when we are dealing with issues of opioid addiction. I, as a cancer provider, when I'm shifting from treating acute cancer pain to a patient being a long-term survivor, I sometimes have patients who need chronic opioid because due to renal function, low platelets, or other factors, I don't have the choice of utilizing a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. I still have to use opioids. But some of my patients get addicted to opioids under those circumstances. I also do not always treat saints. Some of my patients who have a chronic need opioids will also sell some of their opioids. So for these problems where I have the sort of chronic addiction in a patient who also has a chronic need of opioids, I need to do tough love and limit the amount of opioids I give them every month. Well, when I'm doing that tough love, which is proper medical care, I still might get negative satisfaction scores because patients don't like to deal with that. I've also had issues of patients and where the satisfaction scores become problematic is when I'm dealing with a patient with cognitive decline. That cognitive decline manifests itself by poor compliance with clinical pathways and treatment pathways that the outcome is altered. The cognitive decline also manifests itself if, you know, if I am worried and concerned about a patient who is still driving and that they may be a risk to others on the road. When I confront patients with those sort of problems, again, the patients are hearing news they do not want to hear, and they are likely to punish a provider with poor satisfaction scores. Concurrent with MACRA's demand, as well as the Affordable Care Act's pressure for these satisfaction scores to be done, there's also a, was a demand that 
provider's notes be immediately read by patients and patients see the documentation of concerns I have for poor compliance, whether that is poor family dynamics at home, poor compliance due to cognitive deficits, that I have concerns about addiction. The populist just does not understand the fundamental priority of a medical note is not for patients to read their notes to understand what's going on. The first and foremost utility of a, me a medical note is that a provider can transfer all of his or her insight about a patient and medical decision-making and current status of a patient to another provider who either is doing a consult or is assuming management. We do not want that knowledge to be lost knowledge. And this transfer of medical information was the first task and still remains the foremost task of a medical note. Unfortunately, with time and pressures from billing and other fraud documentation, the medical note has now also been used as a billing document, a compliance to pathways document or explanation for deviation from pathways, as well as something that becomes a patient information document because the patient is considered the ultimate owner of the note. Providers are not given, except for certain mental health providers, routine places to document concerns they have about a patient that they want another provider to know about, but they don't necessarily really want to share with a patient. This puts pressure on these satisfaction scores, particularly now as we move from a model where most physicians are no longer self-employed in a the physician-owned practice but now are employed by healthcare organizations. This also plays a role with insurance companies to have high satisfaction scores and aren't really measuring quality of medicine. Quality of medicine practice does not necessarily track with these satisfaction scores. Of interest, I spoke to a couple of congressional staffers when we were having discussions about the implementation problems of the MACRA. They said they really hadn't put in the satisfaction scores more as an afterthought. They never really thought these satisfaction scores would be utilized for much. They were stunned to hear that they're actually being utilized to fire physicians, and several large organizations are firing physicians solely because of poor satisfaction scores. Can this problem be fixed or addressed? I have actually met with CMS and responded in writing to some of my concerns with the satisfaction scores. I have explained that with the opioid crisis, where I have to deal with the sort of tough love situation or even confront a patient about his opioid abuse, particularly if he still has chronic needs for opioids, that proper medical care demands that I address the opioid problem. The response I have gotten from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services from their medical officers was that, well, the satisfaction scores, we are no longer measuring the patient satisfaction with pain management because we recognize some of the problems there, but we are just measuring their overall satisfaction with the visit. The problem is when you have to do tough love for a visit, whether it's about opioids antibiotic overuse for non-antibiotic need, things like cognitive decline, driving, 
uh, cognitive decline with unsecured guns in the home, or even potentially issues where divorce, unstable family situations are raising concerns about safety in the home. Satisfaction with the visit should not govern how we are documenting, but fear of retribution that could lead to physician firing because of satisfaction scores are an issue. The solution is either give us privileged sections of the chart where we can document that there can be no discovery except by direct subpoena, or say for certain visits where we have to have these tough discussions, the satisfaction scores should not be measured, counted, or they have to be ignored and not calculated. The problem with that latter approach is obviously there will be the risk of abuse by the physicians who are doing very poor patient communications, not really addressing need, and would use the opt-out to avoid having routine negative satisfaction scores. So it's unclear to me that this system can be fixed. Yes, I do see that there's benefit. I think there's benefit that we try to keep visits on time, except when emergencies intervene, that we try to have quality interactions with our patients and we get patient feedback on those interactions. But we don't want cancer providers to be sugarcoating the truth to get good satisfaction scores. Antibiotics being administered where no antibiotics are necessary, opioids being administered, and we clearly do not want to have satisfaction scores interfere when we have issues of unsecured gun, cognitive decline, where somebody is a risk to others with driving. These are problems we clearly want providers to address and to address forthright. We also have issues with the providers who really don't have face-to-face time, but there's a demand that they have satisfaction scores. The satisfaction scores, I would submit, are irrelevant for a pathologist, a radiologist, where their quality is really being measured, their quality to the frontline providers. And anesthesiologists, yes, I care that a patient have initial good experience when they're being consented for anesthesia and initial induction for anesthesia. But how I, as someone who occasionally goes to the operating room, or even has been a patient in the operating room. What I care about the anesthesiologist's performance is their performance when the patient is completely under anesthetic and how they are monitoring their patient effectively and how well prepared they are for the unexpected emergencies. The satisfaction scores are a desire to use measures of outcomes that are applicable to other industries and apply it to healthcare. And, you know, what works for airline satisfaction, department satisfaction, restaurant satisfaction doesn't work for the complexity of issues addressed in healthcare. Yes, there are some improvements here, but we've got to limit its impact. And what we really do not want to continue to have happen, which is happening now, is providers giving very good healthcare are penalized because of poor satisfaction scores given by patients who don't understand the provider is really trying to do the best medical care and what should be considered the best medical care.